You've heard Rex Barney give that fan a contract. Now it's time to give that fan a podcast. Dive into some Orioles baseball talk with your host, Ryan Blake. back to give that fan a podcast this is episode number nine i'm your host ryan blake i feel like i need to come up with a more creative way to introduce the show because i say that same thing every week but in any event this is episode number nine i've got a great interview coming up with coach todd fitzgerald of stoneman douglas high school he's the high school coach of orioles 2020 fourth round draft pick third baseman kobe mayo so i'll give you guys that in a little bit it's going to be similar to the interviews i've done the last couple weeks with nate thompson of the university of arkansas and Mark Roaring of Dowling Catholic, but um, you know that's to be expected when we're, we're we're talking about guys who we don't really know too well yet. Uh, so I'm excited to bring you that. But first, there are a couple things I wanted to address. We'll get to the Rule Five uh, recap here in a moment. I previewed that in my episode last week, and of course, of the 16 players that I mentioned, zero of them were selected by the Orioles. I think five of them were selected overall. Uh, but we'll dive into that. Um, the Orioles lost not one but two pitchers. That was kind of a stunner, but uh, first I want to talk a little bit about the Frederick Keys. Um, I neglected to mention this on the pod last week, and I regret doing so, but um, the Keys will no longer be part of the Orioles organization. Instead, they are being transferred to uh, Major League Baseball's new draft league, kind of similar to the Cape Cod League or the Northwoods League in the sense that it's going to be for uh, college and high school players to uh, showcase their skills leading up to the draft. So I'm, I'm glad in a sense that Frederick is not completely losing baseball. Um, it's a great baseball town, uh, but obviously it's a shame that they'll, they'll no longer be part of the Baltimore Orioles. Um, you know, my dad, I grew up in Catonsville, but my dad worked in Frederick, and so we spent a lot of time up at, at Harry Grove Stadium going to Keys games because my dad got tickets through work uh, relatively often. And uh, just a, a great stadium to take in a minor league baseball game. And I've talked about this on the podcast before that, you know, if you have an opportunity and you've never been to a minor league game, go to a minor league game. They are so much fun. They're cheap. You can see some good talent. They've usually got some, some good promotions. I know in Frederick they did fireworks. It felt like every single night. Um, but lots of, lots of good memories up in Frederick. Um, you know, I got my very first game used bat there. I was there with my cousin Tim, who unfortunately passed away last November, but uh, went with him and I think a couple other family members, and at, after the game, uh, we were starting to leave, and, and a player just kind of tossed a couple bats up on top of the dugout, and, uh, you know, didn't need him anymore, that's a, a telltale sign, you know, hey, someone take these, it's like tossing a ball up into the crowd, um, but me and Tim kind of looked at each other, and then we, you know, sprinted down to the dugout, and someone had grabbed one of the bats already, but you know, we got the second one, and we we took turns. It was like it was like we had joint custody of this of this minor league game used bat. And I don't even know it wasn't inscribed with any players' initials or anything. But um, we would alternate, you know, months or weeks at a time, keeping it at each other's house. And uh, yeah, that's that's one of my very first baseball memories. I had to have been you know seven or eight years old when that happened, but I, I still have that bat to this day. 
my my first uh well I should say my second uh souvenir mini bat was a keys bat. Um I remember getting the Coyote to sign it. It was second of course because my first was an Orioles bat, obviously. But um you know, I always remember seeing the Coyote at games. Uh I caught my very first ball there during a game. There was a, a they have that grassy area where fans can or kids can hang out down the line and a lot of minor league stadiums have this, but you know, in Frederick, it was just this little hilly area that led right down to the field, and and there was a, a foul ball hit down the line that ricocheted out to the right fielder, and he grabbed it and just tossed it into the crowd. And I had my glove, and I made a nice running catch in a crowd of like 20, 30 kids. And uh, that, so that was the first the first ball I ever caught. I remember going there with some friends and begging the ball boy for a baseball, even though after you know having my experience now having worked as a bat boy for the Bay Sox, uh you're not supposed to give away the baseballs so i and and gosh it's annoying when when kids come up behind you and are begging you for a ball in the middle of the game it's like you know after the game if i've got one to give away yeah i'll give it to you but in the middle of the game you know we can't give away a ball but we spent that whole game pestering the ball boy trying to get a ball and uh man i i can't imagine how annoying that was for him but uh man Again, just just some great memories of Frederick. I met Pat Pat Sajak there, host of Wheel of Fortune. He's an Orioles fan, but he came by for uh, game show night. I guess was the promotion. They gave away his bobblehead, and I got him to sign a baseball. I took a weird bad selfie with him. A lot of a lot of cool promotions they had up there. Got some autographs of different guys. I remember getting Chance Cisco to sign a mini helmet for me up there. I got Kevin Gosman a few times. Uh, Dylan Bundy had a rehab start up there and then stood in the, in the doorway during the rain, uh, up in the concourse and, and signed a bunch of stuff for us. He signed a few cards for me. Gosh, I remember meeting Freddie Bynum there, giving him a high five and getting his autograph. Just a, a really nice place to take in a baseball game. And, and like I said, unfortunate that they'll no longer be part of the Orioles organization, but I'm glad that that town is not losing baseball completely. And I look forward to going to, to draft league games up there. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and the talent level I think will be a little bit better. Uh, moving on from you know being an A-ball uh, club to now prospective draftees and and guys who are, are highly touted at the amateur level, so it it'll be good for the town I think. Um, but we'll we'll obviously miss uh, the Frederick Keys being an affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles. Moving on a little bit to the Rule Five draft, uh, like I said at the beginning. I recapped it last week, or sorry, I previewed it last week. This is the recap. Um, and I mentioned 16 different guys who I thought the Orioles might have interest in, guys who I thought were appealing, and the Orioles selected uh, none of them. Um, Garrett Whitlock was taken one pick before the Orioles. The Red Sox grabbed him at number four. Um, so I wonder if he was in play. But Whitlock went to Boston, and then with the fifth pick, the Orioles took right-handed pitcher Mac Scroller from the Cincinnati Reds. He's the nephew of former number one overall pick and current Orioles broadcaster Ben McDonald. Um, and then in the second round of the of the draft, the Orioles took right-handed pitcher Tyler Wells from the Minnesota Twins. Uh, a couple guys who are, are up there in age in terms of prospects, but um, have have shown some signs of potential in the past, and and hopefully with their development, they'll be solid pieces for the Orioles going forward. The biggest news for me, though. Uh, Gray Fenter was selected by the Chicago Cubs. Um, of course, I expected the Orioles to lose Zach Pop. He ended up going uh, sixth overall to the Arizona Diamondbacks and then traded to the Miami Marlins, where I think he's a solid fit in their bullpen. So I'm a little concerned, uh, growing concern there that, that Zach Pop 
is uh is not going to end up returning to the Orioles. I think Fenter will be, and I hope he is. Um, I had Fenter personally at number 25 on my Orioles top 30 prospect list uh, following the draft. That's a list that I have to update with with some of these new uh, additions recently and trades that Mike Elias has made. But um, Fenter's a guy that I think I'm higher on than most other people are. Um, he strikes out everybody, limits hard contact. He's a guy who's had good numbers across his career. Uh, hasn't pitched above a ball, unfortunately. 24 years old, I believe he is. Good profile, um, good build. I think he's got a durable body that I think will, will last him uh, a while. I think he's got a, a future as a starter at the big league level. Um, but I'm hoping that uh, that the Cubs end up returning him to us. I think he could be a solid fit in their bullpen. God knows the Cubs need all the bullpen help they can get. But uh, Fenter's a guy I was very surprised to see get selected. Um, and I, I hope he ends up back with us. I'm, I'm fingers crossed for that, but, but we'll see going forward. The two guys the Orioles took at the, at the major league level, I mentioned Max Scroller as well as Tyler Wells. Uh, Scroller, like I said, Ben McDonald's nephew, um, in the course of his minor league career thus far, uh, about nine and a half strikeouts per nine innings, uh, less than three walks per nine. That number sits at 2.82, both respectable numbers. Um, his profile has changed slightly since uh, he was drafted. He was known coming out of uh, college more as a fastball uh, changeup guy, and now he's a little more fastball curve. Uh, from his uh, scouting report uh, from Baseball America prior to the 2017 draft, I'm going to quote this directly, Scroller's fastball is above average as he'll sit 92 to 93 miles per hour and touch 95. He's loose and has a very fast arm. He also has an above-average changeup. His curveball is a little fringy, but he has missed enough bats to rank in the top 25 nationally in strikeouts entering regional play. Now, the Orioles just drafted him in the Rule 5, and uh, obviously the front office has been in, in touch with him. And he mentioned in an interview this week that uh, the Orioles have been raving about his uh, analytics. The Orioles have talked to him a lot about the analytical data. Uh, they, they love his fastball-curveball combination based on his track man, which tells me that he's got some high spin rates. And we know that Elias and company are big fans of, of youngsters who can spin a pitch, uh, especially when it's a, a fastball or a curveball, as those are pitches that, to be really effective, require a good deal of spin. His fastball, he hasn't lost much on it, it uh, if anything. It still sits around 91 to 94. He can still touch 95 uh, when he really rears back for it. Uh, but it's got solid life. It plays pretty well down in the zone. He runs into a little trouble when he leaves it up. But um, the movement alone uh, makes it an effective pitch low. And the changeup kind of plays like a splitter at this point. Uh, it sits around 80 miles an hour, but it's at least an average third pitch. He's got a slider that he mixes in as well. That That's his fourth offering. But um, if the Orioles, you know, for a guy who's known more for his changeup than his curveball, if... Uh, you know, if if the Orioles like his his curveball, then I mean that's hopefully he's a guy who can mix in three above average pitches and maybe stick in the rotation. Obviously, we'll see what the Orioles uh, want to do in terms of putting these guys in the bullpen, trying to get them to contribute as starters. We won't really know until spring training shapes up, and we'll we'll see what happens with them. Uh, but Scroller definitely an interesting pick. Um, not a guy I would have gone with personally, but there's some potential there for sure. And uh, obviously, having worked with Ben McDonald pretty much his whole life, uh, kind of understands the grind that it takes to get to the major leagues and, and to stick there. 
Tyler Wells, 26-year-old right-handed pitcher from the Minnesota Twins organization, coming off a of Tommy John surgery, has not pitched since 2018. Uh, concerning, but uh, the numbers prior to that were pretty solid. Um, 282 earned run average and 106 whip, both very solid numbers across his minor league career. Uh, but more importantly, I'm interested in how he got those numbers. Um, over 10 strikeouts per nine, just over two and a half walks per nine. Both are very, very solid numbers, and he doesn't give up uh, many home runs at all, which will play very well at Camden Yards being a uh, a pretty good home run ballpark. He's uh, 6'8", very, very big build, um, repeats his delivery pretty well for a guy as tall as he is. Um, a lot of times with guys who are, are that height, uh, they have a, a bit of funk in their mechanics, a bit of inconsistency in their delivery. Wells is not one of those guys. Uh, he's gotten into better shape. He lost about 60 pounds in the offseason after 2017. He was working with Latroy Hawkins over with the Twins, and uh, Hawkins helped him get his eating habits right, get his workout routine in order, and, uh, and, and Wells got into much better shape, and those results uh, were apparent in the 2018 season. There's no relation to Alexander Wells. Um, he is a former teammate of Alexander's brother Lachlan Wells over with the Twins organization. Um, but no relation there, despite the same last name. Um, another guy with four pitches. The fastball is the best one. It's it's above average. The secondaries are okay. Uh, curveball, changeup, slider, similar to uh, scroller. Uh, I don't have access to any of the data on those pitches, uh, but he seems to have some confidence in them. Uh, so hopefully that that plays to the major league level. Uh, Rakubako wrote an article this week on. Uh, on Wells, and even more so than his his abilities on the mound, Rock was very impressed with his demeanor and how he carried himself. Um, Rock was very complimentary about uh, how Wells behaved in his his little press conference over Zoom, his little introduction to the media. Uh, talked about how well spoken and thoughtful and articulate he is, and you know, coaches look for or teams look for a guy with good makeup when they're in their scouting process. And that's something I mentioned in my, my interviews this month um, and, and talked about with these coaches is, you know, how are you involved in that draft process? And the answer to that from all three of them is, well, teams really want to know about a guy's makeup, how they behave with their teammates, how they respond to adversity, um, how they represent themselves, how they're going to represent your team. And uh, Wells seems like a guy, based on Rock's report this week, um, Wells seems like a guy who is, is going to bring that for you. And so it's it's exciting to have a guy like that in the organization. You always want friendly faces and, and well-spoken people representing you, obviously. And so hopefully that uh, he's a guy who can stick around. But as is the case with both Wells and Scroller, uh, we will see what happens with the Orioles. I'm not sure I expect both of them to be kept. I'm not sure I expect either of them to be kept. Uh, you know, with the Rule 5 pick, you have to keep a guy on the roster for the duration of the season or else they're returned to their team. Realistically, I don't think either of them stick around, but I'm, I, I'd like to be an optimist. I hope they both impress, and I hope they make name for them, names for themselves and contribute to the Orioles. Obviously, you know, you never want to root for a guy's failure as a fan. These weren't necessarily guys I expected the Orioles to take a look at. They wouldn't have been my first choices, but hey, they're, they're birds now, and we gotta, we got to hope for the best. Um, in the minor league phase, the Orioles selected a few players as well. Uh, a couple right-handed pitchers, Ricky Ramirez from the Twins, Ignacio Feliz from the San Diego Padres, 
as well as catcher Christopher Hudgens from the Kansas City Royals. I don't have much information on them. Perhaps I'll dive into them a little bit uh, in a later episode, but I wanted to touch on the two guys the Orioles took in the Major League phase of the Rule 5 draft. So to recap, right-handed pitcher Max Scroller from the Reds, right-handed pitcher Tyler Wells from the Minnesota Twins, the Orioles lose, right-handed pitcher Zach Pop and Gray Fenter. But I'm going to go ahead and give you my interview with uh, Coach Todd Fitzgerald of Stoneman Douglas High School. I really enjoyed talking to him about Orioles' fourth-round selection, Kobe Mayo. Coach was very complimentary of him, and uh, we're going to give you a little taste of that. And uh, I hope you enjoy. This is the final episode of our little coaches series. After this week, we are going to take a little break for the holidays, and uh, we will be back in January with some more for you. I'm lining up some guests moving forward, and I'm very excited for those uh, those prospects. Uh, but here is my interview with Coach Todd Fitzgerald. My guest in Episode 9, Coach Todd Fitzgerald of Stoneman Douglas High School, high school coach of Orioles' fourth-round pick, Kobe Mayo. Coach, thanks for taking the time to join me. Uh, thanks for having me, Ron. So uh, you have a, a bit of a, a storied uh, history as a coach. This is your 26th season, your eighth at Stoneman Douglas. Uh, you have two Coach of the Year awards to your name, uh, both by USA Today. One of them was uh, Baseball America as well in 2016. Uh, tell me a little bit about your trajectory as a coach, how you got started, and, and how you got to where you are today. Uh, well, I mean, I played for a really good college coach, uh, in Harrogate, Tennessee. I went to a small division two school, Lincoln Memorial University and a guy named Ken Crehan who had came from the Citadel was my, uh, was my college coach. And, uh, you know, just really watching and learning from him being a pitcher, you know, you get to watch a lot cause you only throw once or twice a week. So, um, just, just being around him and, and just the, the overall knowledge and the, and the, the way that he went about preparing his teams and, and it just made me really want to coach and, uh, you know, really get into that. And I thought that that was something that I, I could be pretty good at. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of a even keeled kind of guy. So um, just, just learning from him and, you know, that was a big influence for me. And then, uh, you know, just getting that opportunity and I've done it, you know, ever since. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned those two uh, coach of the year awards. Uh, you want to national- Oh, oh, my mistake. Well, who's counting? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and you've got a national championship under your belt as well in, in 2016. Two. Uh, two. You got Yeah, there you go. I, I must I must be misreading these. Uh, these 2008, 2008 and 2016, we were national champions. Gotcha. Okay. So you won, you won state titles both of those years and then went on to win the national championships. Yep. Uh, yep. You coached Eric Hosmer when you were at Heritage, and he, I know he gave you a shout out on Twitter when uh, – yep. He showed that that World Series ring and yep. and how, as an Orioles fan, my relationship with Eric Hosmer is watching him knock the Orioles out of the 2014 playoffs. But right. uh, what was it like getting a chance to to coach him and see him get to where he is today? Uh you know, it's funny you say that. I was just over his house last week. Um, he uh, he's getting he's building a, a brand new house over there in Southwest Ranches. But just he he was always that kind of guy that you knew was going to do something special. I mean, I had him from the seventh grade. So from the seventh grade, so I've had him, I had him for six years and uh, he was just always, he was always very talented. He could always hit. Uh, He wasn't really the biggest guy then as a little seventh grader was kind of short and stocky, you know, but he always had great, he always had a great hit tool, but just, just the overall makeup and the character of the, of the kid and his family were unbelievable. Um, I coached his older brother that played for me as well. So 
two totally different individuals. You know, his, his, his older brother was a speedster and he was more the power guy and the, you know, the real, the real, the real deal, I should say. So. Yeah. Um, and he's awesome. Yeah. And, and moving on to, uh, to Kobe Mayo a little bit, uh, similar guy in terms of that, that huge power potential, you know, six, five guy coming out of high school, you don't see a whole lot of that. Um, and, and a guy who loves to pull the ball and, and do it with power. Uh, now, You've had a lot of players drafted in, in your career, 24, according to the bio. Oh, that may be wrong based on my information thus far, but 31, <laughs> 31. See, these, these pages need to update a little bit. Right. Um, so how does Kobe compare to, to some of these other guys you've had drafted? You know, Colton Welker's a guy who moved on from Stoneman Douglas. He's now with the, the Rockies organization and a bit of a similar profile, different tool set. But, you know, a guy who plays some third base can mix in elsewhere, a little bit of power. Um, how does Kobe compare to a lot of these guys who have gone on to professional careers? Um, you know, again, you can't teach size, right? Right. Uh, he's got a huge arm. Um, you know, the arm is really good. I don't know if he sticks at third. Um, you know, he's pretty athletic for a big guy. He moves well. Really good power potential, like you said. Um, real pull happy, like you said. I'd like to see him hit the ball the other way with authority more you know i think that's only going to increase value for him down the road um but yeah i mean you know the kid the kid's all he's a baseball rat that's all he's done his whole life he uh he's he's a he's a great kid uh very good teammate um you know uh a little a little a little a little young in the mind you know still so i'm i'm hoping that he really matures really quick uh at, at the pro ball level um, but you know, it's something that he couldn't pass up. I mean, that's life changing money. So I think he's going to do well once he figures it out. Uh, it's not going to be because of lack of work ethic. He's going to work his tail off to be as good as, you know, the Orioles expect him to be, uh, just don't know where he's going to play third, first outfield. Don't know that yet, but, uh, definitely has a bright future ahead of him. And, uh, it was really fun to coach. He was a really, really good individual to coach one probably one of my top 10 guys of all time just to coach and be around good yeah I'm glad to hear that now you mentioned his question marks about whether or not he'll stick a third uh and you know he's got the arm like you said a uh, little questionable in terms of you know the footwork the agility over there right, uh right. did you guys try him out anywhere else or did he did he pretty exclusively play third for you guys yeah a actually it's, it's funny my son my son and him were kind of our thunder and lightning uh uh in the order so I thought Kobe was a little bit more athletic at the time than my son was. So we made, we, we moved Kobe to shortstop his junior and senior year to make him more athletic. My son's really more of a third baseman type guy who was a late round draft guy. But I think that really helped Kobe with his footwork. And again, you know, he was still growing. Kobe was too at the time. So, um, you know, I think that really helped him at shortstop. I really do. Yeah. Now, was Kobe one of those guys, you know, you mentioned his, his continued growth in terms of physicality, but he, was he mm -hmm. one of those guys who, when he showed up day one, you can tell that, that he was going to be something special? Oh, I, I knew when he was 10 years old, he was going to be something <laughs> special. I mean, he was, he was, you know, he's just, he was that good of a player, but he was always a player that always worked too. He didn't, he, he wasn't one of those guys that would just show up get his work in and leave like he would put the time in to continue to develop and the good thing about Kobe is he, he asked a lot of questions always asked questions always wanted feedback you know and uh 
I think that kind of helped him and his mindset too, you know, you know, just the whole, the whole physical part of it. there. It's more the mental, the mental side of it. You know, I can give you an example. Last year we played a game. We were playing Monsignor Pace, who's traditionally very good in Florida. He was 0 for 3 in his first three bats with three strikeouts. And the guy kept getting him on change up, change up, change up. You know, and then it, he comes back in his fourth at bat. He said, Coach, man, I'm seeing the ball. I just, you know, I can't, I can't, you know, lay off it. I said, well, just see a ball up, see a pitch up. And, you know, you got to spit on the change up. Be disciplined enough. And fourth at bat, he hit one that hadn't landed yet. So, uh, you know, so it was a good adjustment, you know. So, you know, he, he tries to make in-game adjustments. He understands what what he's trying to do up there. So, you know, for me, that that tells me he's an advanced hitter, you know. Right. Now, not just in terms of, of his uh, his physical stature, but what kind of changes did he make between freshman year and the time he got drafted in terms of, you know, his approach at the plate? And you, know, you mentioned his work ethic always there trying to make adjustments. But what were some of the big moves that he made in, in his time under you? Well, he had he had kind of a funny load uh, early on first couple of years in his career. And then uh, last year, he kind of went more to a more balanced stance. Um, it was something that he was trying to figure out, you know, throughout the end of the fall and to, to the beginning of the spring. And, you know, I think for him, once he got that comfort zone, he really got more comfortable with that. He would be, a, he used to be like, a, I don't remember if you remember a guy named Cecil Espy, you know, he sit back on that back leg and just kind of spin on a ball. But, um, but uh, he, he's more upright, more balanced. It created more power for him. So more leverage, um, you know, it's hard for long armed guys it's really, really hard for long-armed guys to really stay inside of baseball a lot because the short guys are just short to the ball because, you know, it's automatic, you know. But when, right. when you're a big guy and you got long arms, you really got to really pull those hands in and, and, and really get that barrel out in front. So those are some of the things. And then we just worked on catching the ball more out front, you know. You know, you always hear the terminology, I ah, let the ball get deep. You know, let, no, I don't want the ball to get deep as a coach, I want my guys to get the ball out front. If they pop it up, fine, so be it. But I want them to catch the ball out front because that's where you're going to generate the most leverage, that full right. extension, you know? Absolutely. Now, yeah, Cecil Espy is a guy I didn't get a chance to watch him myself, but as a baseball card collector, I certainly know the name. Uh, now, in terms of uh, of Kobe, as as he continues his professional development, um, you know, we, we, we've talked a little bit about how he loves to pull the ball. He hits with a lot of power, but there are some – you know, so there's some swing and miss there. Yeah. Uh, the lack of ability to really drive the ball to all fields. Right. Um, if if you were with the the Orioles professional development team, how would you maximize Kobe's potential? For me, it would just be it would be probably 90 percent of his BP has to be right center, right right center light pole, right. You're not allowed to pull a ball north of second base. We know you can hit the ball a country mile on the pull side. Uh, for me in high school, it was double down the third baseline, home run to left field, you know. So, yeah. and, I, and we knew that. But anything right at second base, when you can develop and learn to drive the ball off of that right center foul pole, you know, and, and focus on that, then that's, that, that's what I would really preach them. The swing and miss, for him, it's pitch recognition, right? So, you got to be able to recognize pitches and not guess. Um, pitch recognition, see it out of the hand early. You know, you got the first 30 feet to, to figure out the spin, and after 30 feet, you're screwed. So uh, you got to pick up that spin right away and know what the guy's throwing. And, you know, Pro Ball's got a lot of reports and scouting reports, so they, they can also hunt certain pitches too because, 
listen, you know as well as I do, you cannot cover both sides of the plate. I don't care if you're in high school, pro ball, whatever. You you have to eliminate something, and uh, you just you just got to be disciplined enough to do that. And and that'll come with time, and he'll do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we as Oriole fans are definitely excited to see how he continues to grow. I mean, anytime you get a, a guy like Kobe in the fourth round, you know, it's 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 exciting for sure. Now, uh, I want to get a little bit into the the, the draft process and, and, and Kobe being scouted. Um, and I, I want to talk about how you were involved. But but first, with with it being a truncated five round draft, uh, you know, Kobe had this commitment to the University of Florida. He talked about how it would have been a dream come true to play to play for them down at, at U of F. Um, were you surprised to see him forego that commitment to play college ball? Or did you think that, you know, if there's a number, the Orioles are going to meet it and, and then he'll, he'll move on to pro ball. I was, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know, like I told you, you know, from a, from a mental standpoint, if he was ready to go off, you know, he, he's, he's a very, they have a very tight knit family. He's never been away from home for more than two days at a time. Like, so that, you know, for me, you know, pro balls, pro balls, a huge adjustment, right? You're gone. You're on your own. You got to fend for yourself. You're young. So I didn't know mentally if that was the right thing for him to do. But again, it's something that he always wanted to do. If he went to Florida, would he have been a first rounder? Who knows? He might've got hurt, you know? So I thought it was just too, he, he and his family thought it was just too good of an opportunity for him to pass up. And you know, he's starting his professional baseball career and hopefully, hopefully he's placed for a long time. Yeah. Well, so now, now, like I mentioned before, you, this is far from your first guy drafted. You've had yeah. plenty. Um, how are you involved in that draft process? And do teams talk? I mean, I'm sure they talk to you directly about these guys, but, but what do they want to know when they reach out to you and say, Hey, we're thinking about taking, you know, Kobe at this spot in the draft. Tell us about him. What, what do they want to know? They really want to know if they think he's ready they want to know, is he really a guy? Uh, they want to know what his makeup is, how he handles failure. Um, you know, cause a lot of times scouts come to the game. They don't, they, they, they want to see you fail. They want to see how you handle that. Do you put your head down? Do you pout? Do you throw your bat? Do you throw your house or do you take it and you go out and you separate your offense from your defense? And, and it's about how you carry yourself. And uh, he carried himself like a professional. I mean, you know, Oh, for three or three strikeouts in that one game. And, you know, you, you wouldn't, you couldn't tell, you know? So from that side of it, I think from, from, from the maturity and the growth and, and seeing guys in our program get drafted and, you know, seeing some of the things that they went through kind of, kind of helped him understand the whole process as well, you know? Um, but they had a, you know, him and his family had a plan. Uh, they asked questions. I wasn't totally, too, totally involved like I normally am with other families, but that was their choice. And, you know, I respected that. And it's not my choice to tell them what to do. I, all I can do is advise them and, you know, they're going to make their own decision. So they feel like they made the right decision for him. And, and you know, and I think it, I think it was a good one. Yeah. Now, now not just the Orioles, but were other teams aggressive in, in pursuing him uh, leading up to the draft? Yeah, I mean, he had he had he had a bunch of home visits, a bunch of in-house stuff. He had a bunch of workouts. I thought he kind of did. I I thought personally he was doing too much, um, you know, because every time somebody would call, he'd want to they'd, they'd want him to go work out, and he'd go work out with him. I'm like Kobe, you you don't need to do anymore. You've done enough. Like, right. you know, and and like you know, on the flip side of that, Eric Hosmer never did one of those. So, um, you know, and I just tried to tried to just tell him like. The more you do, the more the more they're going to find flaws. 
So just have them come see you in high school. You, you're trying to help your high school team win a state championship. It's not about Kobe Mayo and, and go play your game, you know, and, and do yeah. what you do. So, um, you know, it, it was, it was good, but I wasn't involved with them, you know, like I normally am with other families. So, and that's okay. You know, everybody's different, but uh, they feel like they did the right thing. So let's go. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure you're happy for your guy. Now, absolutely. My, my last question for you. Um, and, and this is again, not just specifically with Kobe, but in, in general, uh-huh. uh, how differently do you guys handle players when you think there's a legitimate shot at them being drafted, especially in the higher rounds? Do you kind of just treat them like the other guys or is there, have to, how do you work with them? You have to, because there's not one person that's bigger than the team, bigger than the program, you know? And if you can't, if you can't, if you show those guys that they're special, it doesn't create good chemistry for the other guys. But when you got it, but when you got a guy like that, who, doesn't think he's special and doesn't cheat the game and doesn't cheat at practice does everything that everybody else does guys look up to that and respect that so I thought for him he did a really great job of doing those things and and you know being a being a great team leader you know and he was and he would get in a guy he would get on a guy and and rightfully so you know uh he 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 didn't like it when guys slid you know sometimes players have to police themselves the coaches can't police it all the time so to have him do that and have other guys in our team do that and and be respected says a lot about the kid you know absolutely and that's that's certainly reassuring to hear to know that you know despite him being you know one of these highly scouted guys he certainly didn't think he was bigger than the team that's a right. that's a very important trait to have especially in a guy so young right um now i'll i'll leave you with a chance to to kind of give a little statement to orioles fans um and you can you can say whatever you want about kobe but what what are what are we getting what are the orioles getting out of him uh you're going to get a guy that's going to come to work every day he's going to represent the organization in the highest fashion He's going to be great in the community. Um, he's going to give you everything he's got, and he's going to develop into the guy that you want him to be, and he's going to hit a lot of home runs there and make a lot of fans happy. Beautiful. Nice and concise. We love home runs. Camden Yards is a great place to do that. Yep. Coach Todd Fitzgerald, Stoneman Douglas High School. I'm very sorry for misrepresenting your, your wonderful accolades. <laughs> oh, good. You're, hey, you're who's counting? Who's yeah, counting? right? Hey, as long as there's something on there. Right. Right. Coach, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate the time and, and good chatting with you about, about Kobe and, and coaching. And uh, I wish you the best of luck moving forward. And I hope your streak, again, I hope I have this right. I hope your streak of 17 consecutive state playoffs continues. Well, actually, Ryan, Uh-oh. <laughs> this is, I'm going into my 20th year as a head coach. So last year doesn't count. So it's actually 18 straight years in the state playoffs. I've never not been in the state playoffs. Well, there you go. I I wish you the best of luck, and I hope that streak continues. (laughs) Only because of guys like that. Absolutely. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate it. Take care. You too. And there you have it. That wraps up our little December series on recent Orioles draft picks coaches. Talk to Nate Thompson, the hitting coach at Heston Kierstad's alma mater, the University of Arkansas, a couple weeks ago. Last week was Coach Mark Roaring of Dowling Catholic, where we talked about fifth-round pick uh, Carter Baumler. And that was Coach Todd Fitzgerald on Orioles' fourth-round pick, Kobe Mayo. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, Thank you, as always, to Tony and Derek at Utah Street Report for hosting the podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Blake. You can follow me at Blake at Orioles Fan Probs with a Z. I hope you all have a very happy holidays, a happy new year. 
I will be celebrating my birthday on December the 31st instead of posting a podcast episode, but we will be back the first Thursday in January, and I'm looking forward to the new year. Take care, everybody.